Good morning, Redemption. My name is Tim, and I'm a member here. Today's reading is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be together this morning. It's been a joy. Let's pray together now as we look to God's word. Father, we do thank you for the joy and miracle of Christmas. We pray that in these coming weeks you would Open our eyes to it all the more, uh, that you would help us to see with spiritual clarity even who exactly Jesus is, what that means for us, God. Uh, More than that, we pray you would change us more and more into his image for the sake of your glory. Meet us this morning wherever we are uh, and, and encourage us, carry us along by the truths of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, really, any time a child is born, it's, it's a wonderful and it's a profound thing, especially to experience. I remember the first time uh, my oldest sister had her first child. So this is the first kid born in that generation of our family. It's the first time I've ever kind of seen this and witnessed it. And I remember thinking, oh, it's going to be really neat. And I went to the hospital to visit and, and to meet my little niece, Lana. And, and I just remember being struck by how profound that actually was. It, it really surprised me. Um, I, I've, I've seen babies before. I get it. But I had this really clear sense that this little girl is going to be part of my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to know her for the rest of my life. I, I had no clue who she was even before I walked in the hospital room. And, and then here she is. Uh, and then that was amplified and, and multiplied even more when I had our first son, Louis, my whole life, you've thought about having children. Here's, here's a son. And then a daughter, Audrey, we walk in and here she is. 
When a baby is born, part of the wonder of it all is that a person who did not exist now exists. But with the story of Christmas, we're going to see the wonder of it all is quite the opposite of that. The birth of Jesus was not the beginning of Jesus at all. It was his entry into our world. At the very end of John's gospel, he writes this. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, he says. So this is why he wrote the book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is why John wrote his gospel. Now you might think, well, don't we already have life? <laughs> don't, don't you kind of already have to be alive to even read or hear what John has written here? But no, John wrote this to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the living God, so that by believing this, we might experience something of his otherworldly life. So it's with that purpose in mind this Advent, we are going to spend the next five weeks looking at the very beginning of John's gospel, which Tim has just read for us. Uh, to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, John has begun his gospel with this rich theological explanation of who Jesus is. Not even the story of his birth, did you notice? He begins with an explanation that has mesmerized theologians and novices alike for now some two millennia. So I, I do want to prepare us. We're going to be wading into some deep theological waters this Advent. Uh, on one hand, uh, there is certainly no way to exhaust these topics in a 35 single minute sermon. Uh, and yet, on the other hand, if we want to take Christmas even kind of seriously, we have to give these truths our attention. These 18 verses are filled with one profound spiritual claim after another about who this Jesus truly is. And each of them, they're all meant to make us wonder, can these things really all be true of the man Jesus Christ. John starts his gospel in verse 1 saying, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When John says in the beginning, he's referring back to Genesis chapter 1, which reads, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the first words of the Bible, and that is the beginning that John is referring to here. We know from Genesis 1 that the way in which God created all things in the beginning was by speaking. In, in verse 4, it reads, And he said, let there be light, and there was light. This creates a pattern throughout all of Genesis 1. God speaks, and something is created. So this idea that God's word was with God, it was there in the beginning, should really not be all that surprising to us. In fact, for those of us who are familiar with Genesis 1, John 1 should almost land on us like this. In the beginning was the Word. Okay, yeah. And the Word was with God. Sure, that makes sense. And the Word was God. <laughs> and here we are supposed to hear the record screech to a halt 
and think, wait, wait a second, <laughs> what? The, the, the word of, of God was God? This should really get us our, our attention. More than that for a first century Jew, it also would have really stretched our categories of monotheism. For, for a Jew, the Shema is the daily prayer uh, that they pray every day. And, and, and that prayer begins, the very first line of it is this, Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, rather, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. One. So, most Israelites would have heard this first verse in John. They would have thought, listen, I'm, I'm all for God's, God's word, okay? Don't mishear. I have a very high view of, of God's word. But to say that his word was there with God in the beginning and also at the same time it was God? No. Nope. Th- that, that can't be. One Christian scholar puts it this way. Stephen Wellam says, in one amazing verse, John declares that the Word has an eternal existence in personal intercommunion with God. In other words, the Word is not just a bunch of words. Somehow this Word, it's it's a being of some sort, and he says it shares the intrinsic nature of God. Uh, Later in John 1, we will learn this eternal living Word becomes flesh. It is the person of Jesus But for our purposes today, I simply want to point out here in in chapter 1, verse 1, notice the word was both with God in the beginning and it also was God in the beginning. This is incredibly important because it lays some crucial groundwork for our doctrine of the Trinity. The truth is we're not going to be able to make sense of what it is we're going to look at and focus on today unless we sort of kind of sort through the doctrine of the Trinity a bit, because whoever this Jesus is, here we learn right away, he is both distinct from God, he was with him, and yet at the same time, the same as God, he was him. This is one of the profound mysteries of the faith, the Trinity, which took the church some good two to three centuries to really sort through even after the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is one eternal God, not more not less, and this one eternal God has always existed as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. They're each distinct. The Father is not the Son. The the Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father or the Son, and yet somehow together they make one God. Okay, but like, which one has the most godness, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be the Father, right? It's got to be the Father. No, no. You really can't even ask the question because they're one. They all share the same godness. Got it. So like one God who can turn into these three different gods. No. Nope. All distinct, each of them. Okay, so technically like three gods, but they're so tight kind of, right, that they're like they're one. No. One God in three persons. And we're going to see this means a few very important and eternally fascinating things. It's hard to overstate the significance of God's triune nature, especially if we hope to make any sense of Christmas. So, for the next five weeks, each week, we're going to focus on just one little section, sometimes even just a phrase of this prologue from John Chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and each week we will reflect on a different truth about the person of Christ, who this Jesus is, so that by the end of our series, hopefully we'll have a much better sense of what this whole Advent Christmas 
thing is really all about. This morning, I want to set the stage for our series by reflecting on just this one idea. It's really just verse 2. I'll read 1 and 2 for context. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Here's what we will look at this morning. He, that is Jesus, this Word, He, was in the beginning with God. Jesus, the child born, was in the beginning with God. But isn't this a Christmas sermon about the time he was, like, born, right? I mean, how can Jesus be with God long before he was even born? How does that work exactly, my friend? You have put your finger on one of the great wonders of Christmas. Somehow, this newborn child has always existed. Uh, We are going to reflect on that this morning, and then we're going to consider what it means for us. The word Advent actually means coming. It refers to the noteworthy arrival of some sort of significant person. And, And Jesus says of himself constantly over and over in all four Gospels that he came into the world. We've seen some of the references already in our service. He was not just created at birth like us. In fact, he was sent into the world, he tells us, by his Father in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to send one of my children to do something, I probably wouldn't think to send the one who doesn't exist yet, right? You can't really do that. That's not really an option. You you cannot go or come somewhere. You, you, You cannot be sent anywhere unless you already exist. And throughout the Gospels, this is true, Jesus says things All the time, especially in John's gospel, which clearly suggests he existed long before he was ever born, that first Christmas. For example, in John chapter 8, Jesus is debating with a group of Jews about what it really means to be a Jew. Now, just for context, Jews are Israelites, Old Testament covenant people uh, from the tribe of Judah, which was really the only tribe of Israel, one of them, only still intact by the time of Jesus' life. And so these Jewish men were, were claiming, listen, we have Abraham as our father. We're children of Abraham, he says, they say. And, and Jesus replies, well, no, you're really not, because if you were, then you wouldn't want to kill me. And he says, Abraham is not your father. He explains, the devil is your father. Now, it's, it's worth noting, Abraham was the patriarch of the people of Israel. He is the one God first went to, to pro- and he promised to create the entire nation of Israel by multiplying his descendants. That's who these Jews are claiming to be, those descendants. We did an entire series on the story of Abraham earlier this year. Then we did another series on Galatians, if you remember, about the true heavenly nature of God's family, what it means to be Abraham's son. This should be fresh on our minds. But Jesus continues in John 8. He says something profound in verse 56. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. (laughs) In other words, this religious icon whom you all revere uh, because he is the founding patriarch of God's covenant chosen nation, the man whom you claim is your ancient spiritual father, yeah, he actually longed for the day I would come. I am who he was looking forward to. Now, if that's true, then Jesus is the entire point of the Bible and the climax 
of God's redemptive plan. And if it's not true, then he is a strange and delusional man with far too high an estimation of himself. But before we can say, really, what we believe about Jesus, we have to decide what that is, which is why John wrote this gospel. Uh, Here's how they respond. In verse 57, the Jews said, said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? You see this? No, they put their finger, they, they point directly to this blatant little wrinkle in, in this claim that Jesus is making, namely that Abraham is among the most ancient figures in the entire Bible. And here he is, Jesus, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, he was waiting for me. He is right there in front of them. And here's his response. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I want you to notice, Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, I was too. He did not say, before Abraham was, I existed. He says, before Abraham was, I am. In a sense, to say that Jesus existed in the past tense before Abraham, that would even be a bit of an understatement. Because here he is, not just in the past, but the present. He's right there. And this is the point, church. His existence has always been and will always be present tense. It is not just that he did exist or that he does exist or that he will exist. It is that he simply is always past present future he exists his existence does not depend on anything or anyone apart from himself in fact the existence of every other thing and every other person depends on him the author of hebrews puts it this way in chapter one he says he jesus is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature and he this jesus upholds The universe is everything, all of it, by the word of his power. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he is also clearly referring back uh, to to Exodus chapter 34, the, the story of the burning bush, when God spoke directly to Moses early in the history of Israel from a burning bush, and he identified himself, God did, that was, as I am who I am. <laughs> so no matter what angle you look at this from, Jesus could not have made it clearer. He is not just even claiming to be really, really old. He is claiming to be the one true eternal God of the Bible. If you learn one new thing about Jesus today, let it be this. Jesus was never created. He has no beginning. His birth is is not, as John Piper says, a creation. It is an incarnation. Uh, That carnes, the Latin carnes, means meat or flesh. Think of like a a carnivore that eats the flesh of other animals, okay? When Jesus was born, he was not created, but he did take on carnes. He took on flesh. And this brings us to another profound mystery of the faith, which is namely the two natures of Jesus. Much like 
God is both three and one at the same time, never just one or the other. Jesus is, is now both human and divine, and he's not just half human, half divine. He's not just human sometimes, divine sometimes. He is always fully human and fully God. He has two distinct natures. His human nature is not divine. His divine nature is not human, but he is always both human and divine. Oh, my <laughs> When do we get to St. Nick in the presence, right? Patience, patience. This is all very important for our purposes today because when Jesus was born a child, his eternal divine nature did not change at all. He kept on being God, the eternal son, and rather than changing that divine nature, he took on a whole new nature that is namely a human nature. This means while he has always existed, that is true, he has not always existed as a man. For example, God's eternal son has not always had a body. He's not always had blood that he could shed. He's not or even had a human soul. This is what changed the day Christ was born. For the first time, God became man, which is why we can say on one hand, he was a newborn child 2,000 years ago, and yet on the other hand, he was not created 2,000 years ago. This newborn child has always existed. At this point, I imagine some of you are thinking, that's great, but what does it mean for me? Uh, how does this truth change my spiritual life or even my experience of Christmas? Now, uh, next, I want to suggest three appropriate responses to the eternal existence of Christ. First, because the eternal God was born a child, number one, we can stop searching. We can stop searching. To be human, it seems, is to be on a quest for some sort of spiritual significance. Uh, the, the hope is that by the end of our lives, at least, we'll be able to make sense of who we are and what that all means. And day after day, each of us chases after something to that end, whether it's relationships, some kind of experiences, uh, possessions, all in search of something that won't just die when we die, something lasting, something eternal. Whether we acknowledge this or not, we're all doing things constantly in order to pursue it. We decide to marry this person, not that person. Uh, we decide to, to pursue this career, not that career. We decide to live in this city for these reasons, not that city for those reasons, always and always in search of, of a life with the most significance and the most enduring purpose. And at times, the weight of that search can feel unbearable as if everything is at stake, as if we just take a wrong turn or we pursue the wrong meaning for the wrong ways, we can make a real mess of our life. Uh, when the search for meaning does not go particularly well, uh, it can crush us to the core. But when Christ was born, it was as if we were all set free from this burden. It was as if God himself came down to heaven, from heaven, to give us some incredibly comforting news. You can stop that search. <laughs> you can stop the search. He's here. 
this man, this human being is the point of everything else. He is the eternal, unchanging God. He has come to set our sinful world right once and for all, and his eternal life is the point of our earthly lives. Every person, whether they realize this or not, exists because they were created by this newborn child, through this newborn child, and for this newborn child, so that, as Paul says in Colossians, in all things he might be preeminent, most important of all. And there is something profoundly liberating about making that spiritual discovery uh, because it means we are not most important of all. And so we don't have to live under that weight anymore. It also means that we don't have to worry or wonder if it's going to work out or happen if we'll figure this whole life thing out. When our eyes are open to who Jesus really is and why it really, really matters, then as, as he taught us, it's, it's as if we've discovered a treasure in a field only to go and sell everything else we have to buy that field because above all of it, what we know more than anything else is that what we need is him. The first and most important response to the eternal existence of Christ is worship. We stop searching for something to complete us and we bow to this God-man because he is the one who does. We don't have to relentlessly scour this planet anymore in search of some reason, some excuse to justify our existence. Possessions won't do it. Acclaim won't do it. Financial security won't do it. Physical pleasures won't do it. Even if we are wildly successful by most standards and we have many or most of those things in plenty, we as Christians can say with Paul, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. Notice, Paul was not a man searching for his life's meaning in the things of this world. He counted them all as loss. He says he counts them as rubbish in order that he might gain Christ. And so what about you? Have you really stopped the search? Have you settled in your mind that this newborn child really has always existed? That this Jesus is not just some religious icon of the distant past, but he is, he was, and he will always be. He was in the beginning with God. Has his eternal life become the center and the driving force of yours? Or are you still searching for some other defining purpose in someone or something else. Next, because the eternal God was born a child, number two, we can also slow down. We can slow down. There's something about death that has a way of really speeding up the pace of our lives. Um, because we know we are not eternal, we tend to live somewhat frantic lives filled with angst. Right? If I was never going to die, right, I, I might not worry so much about how long it takes to uh, finalize an adoption or, or to renovate a church building, maybe someday to, to go on and do further education. I, 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 if I get to those things in the next you know, 
few hundred centuries, that'll be fine, right? But because of our sin, we don't have a few hundred centuries. We're lucky if we live through most of one, and so we run around frantically trying to make and get the most out of life, and it can create all kinds of chaos in us. Well, it turns out that is not how this eternal God lived his, his human life. In fact, if there's one thing Jesus did not do in his earthly life, it was to live in a panicked hurry. Jesus lived a slow and simple life. Uh, he didn't own much, hardly anything. Um, he was hardly ever flustered, and when he was, it was for very good reason, like, you know, like the wrath of God about to be poured out on him. Uh, when the circumstances of his daily life grew more and more intense and complicated, as the crowds began to flock and make all kinds of demands on his life, he retreated to the wilderness to pray. His disciples were a panicked mess, scurrying about a storm-tossed boat, for example. Meanwhile, he was sleeping. They shook him awake. He said, be still. The storm was calmed, and he told them, you guys really need to have more faith. When you have existed for all of eternity and you have every intention of coming back to life after death to never die again, turns out there is not so much pressure to pick up the pace, sort of make your life happen for yourself. Jesus was able, I think because of his eternal nature, to take life in stride in ways that most of us could only dream of. And now you might be thinking, well, listen, that's great for Jesus, <laughs> Uh, I'm happy for him, but my life doesn't work that way, Danny. I, I am not eternal. I cannot just resurrect myself from the dead. Fair point. But remember what Jesus says to Martha as she mourned the death of her brother Lazarus. He says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he says. You see this? Church, Jesus was born a child so that he could share his eternal life with us. And that ought to change the way we go about our daily life. Would our response this morning be the same as Martha's in this story? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That'll slow you down. What anxieties are weighing you down right now. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one like Martha. Maybe it's some sort of career crisis, health crisis. Uh, which unmet expectations are tempting you to just spiral right out of control? What crises are you silently trying to resolve even now in your mind as you sit there in the pew? Church, let's slow down. Let's run to this eternal God-man. Let's cling to him and find rest for our souls. Because finally, now that he was born a child, number three, we can hope for eternity ourselves. We can hope for eternity ourselves. When we come to appreciate that God's son has always existed, well, first, it, it does kind of start to make sense of the fact of why he was able to come back to life after he was crucified, does it not? I mean, what, what else could happen to an eternal God-man with no beginning. He's not just going to die, and that's it. And we know, of course, he didn't. This is the great hope of every Christian, that this newborn child who has always existed still exists today. He's alive. 
He is still the eternal, now resurrected Son of God who will never die again. And because he will live on forever as this eternal Son of God, as the eternal God-man, for that reason, we have the hope of eternal life and intimacy with God as well. We have that hope by virtue of our union with him. As Christ himself says in John chapter 6, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Church, in Christ, the God of eternity past has come to bring us with him into eternity future. So what does, here's what this means for us. If we are truly in Christ, it means that whatever we fear might break us in this life will not break us. Uh, whatever worst-case scenario we stew over in our minds will not be our final outcome. Whatever crippling anxieties or sinful blind spots we have someday, they will be cast off us like shackles from a freed slave. And we will live forever with the resurrected God-man who has always existed. Praise God. Let's pray together now. Father, we come to you amazed, in awe even, of your Son. This Jesus is so much more than even this world would have us believe. Bring us to our knees at the thought of him. In a spiritual sense, in a profound inner way, God, humble us. Have us to bow before Jesus, who has always existed, does now reign, and will forever and ever. Change us, God, as we cling to him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.